Praise the Lord. So this morning, I want to share a sermon that I was supposed to share a long time ago after Easter, but things didn't line up. It wasn't God's will. So it's called, it's not where you are, it's how you are. Moving out and up. Moving out and up. If you have your Bibles or your apps, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 27. And I'm going to be reading for the New American Standard Version. I'm going to put it in uh, the chat here on Zoom. And I'm going to put it on the chat on Facebook. Oh, I'm, I'm like ambidextrous. Praise the Lord. All right. So it says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Ooh, that's good. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. So there's some quotes, right? Um, Henry David Thoreau said, it's not what you look at that matters, it's what, it's what you see. Zig Ziglar, Zig Ziglar says, is not what you've got, it's what you use that makes a difference. Um, social media says, it's not where you're from, it's where you're going. Somebody else once says, you are not, you, uh, you are what you have become and where you are going, not where you came from. So, I say that because some of us are working jobs that don't really define who we really are. Mm. Some of us are artists and we're working jobs to meet our faith, to be faithful and meet our obligations. Mm -hmm. And that job description is not your self-description. You're greater than that situation. You're greater than your banking statement. Mm. You're greater than what the world says is your net. Your worth in Christ is greater than what the world says is your net worth. And what I love is I love how God chose to come to this earth in his incarnation through a poor family. See, God could have came through a royal family. Jesus could have came fully grown, walk, walked into this dimension at 12 feet big with crowns and muscles and weapons. He could have came with the angels. But no, he came humbly for our redemption. I love how God came to this earth through this incarnation, through a poor family, born among the stench of animals in the midst of accusations. Remember, when Mary was pregnant, people were doing the math. And when they got married, in the midst of accusation, through a poor parents, they had to, they, they had to give a, a poor person's offering for Jesus. Imagine. Then they had to move to Egypt because they were trying to kill Jesus. Imagine Joseph, the Magi comes, give all these gifts. Then he has to move his entirety, and this is not his baby. He had to move to Egypt. Then when he come back to, to, to uh, Jerusalem area, he had to live in a rough neighborhood called, a rough hood called Nazareth. 
Nazareth was a rough hood at that time. You know, one of the disciples, they said, where's Jesus from? Was Nazareth. He goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then God himself chose to work a blue-collar laborer job. None of this completely defined him, but refined him. He didn't come as a philosopher, as a general, as a celebrated prophet. His favorite place wasn't Nazareth or Jerusalem. His favorite place was a place called Bethany. And Bethany was home to some grateful, great people. Named Simon the leper, Martha, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. <coughs> this was great people. It was a great place where Jesus um, felt hospitality. He felt love. He was surrounded. Um, Simon the leper was said to have money. Martha was a servant. Mary was a worshiper. Lazarus was a friend that he resurrected, that Jesus resurrected and sat next to Jesus. He loved these people. How do you know he loves these people? Because the Bible talks about this different scriptures, right? So it said, one scripture says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. Talking about Lazarus. Um, the Bible also says Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. The Bible also says our friend, Jesus says our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Then another scripture says, then the Jews says, see how he loved him. Talk about Lazarus. See, Bethany was a beautiful place. And, and these people, they were hardworking people with some money. Right? They're like, Pastor Ryan, how do you know they had money? Because they were always talked about how they had hospitality and courtyards and how many people um, how many people were able to be at the house. You know, during his, his last six days preceding their crucifixion, Jesus visited Jerusalem in the daytime but retreated to Bethany to spend the night. He spent the last six days of his earthly life in Bethany where he found refuge and safety, acceptance and peace. Excuse me. So you have to think, Jesus loved Bethany. It was a place where Mary poured out this expensive ointment on him. It was a place where Lazarus was resurrected and at eating sitting next to him. It was a place where he wasn't tolerated, he was celebrated. I want Summit Church to be like Bethany. Man, if it, if, if it didn't evoke so much religious thing or it wasn't that we had explained the context, I would have called the church Bethany. We want to be a place where Jesus is celebrated. We want to be a place where people feel, feel celebrated and, and, and refueled and refilled in the faith. So there's a word called ecology. Ecology. It's to study how organisms interact with their environment. And ecologists often study habitats. A habitat is the environment which um, particular species live. And it provides the members of the species with food, shelter, water, and the right climate and altitude for survival. And every species has uh, like a, a, a native habitat where it thrives. The habitat of saltwater catfish is saltwater. If you put a saltwater catfish in fresh water, it will not survive. Why? Wrong habitat. <coughs> Excuse me. 
the habitat of the penguin is the Antarctica. If you bring the penguin to Mexico, it may not thrive because it's the wrong habitat. If you move a polar bear to Naples, Florida, it won't do well. Wrong habitat. Now, sometimes you could put animals in another habitat where they could survive but not thrive and they won't reproduce because of the wrong habitat. Sometimes when you put tigers in a cage from infancy, they lose a lot of their predatory instinct. Not all of it, but a lot of it because they're in the wrong habitat. Now, you and I as Christians, from God's standpoint, we're a new race of humanity. We're a new race. We're a new species. We're a new type of people. We're a new creation. And so we have a habitat to thrive. And that habitat is called Ecclesia, or commonly known as the church. A Christian without a home church could survive. Yes, you could leave, listen to Steve Furtick. You could listen to Elevation Worship. But it'll be difficult to thrive. And it'll be difficult to reproduce yourself and disciple others. And so as, we, as, as a Christians, we need habitat. A victorious Christian needs to be in the right environment so they don't die spiritually. God has called us to live together as Christians to encourage, to support, to pray, and to serve each other. But to really have a thriving ecclesia, we need the Christians to move out of three other places. Right? To be a Bethany-type church, we need you to move out of Egypt. We're talking about spiritually. Egypt, Babylon, and not to stay in the desert too long. Are you with me? Can I hear amen in the chat? Let's see my time. All right, so let's look into the meaning of Egypt, right? Now, let's look at Exodus chapter 5, verse 3 through 9. I'm going to be reading for the NLT, the New Living Translation. Let me put it in the Zoom chat for you guys. Put it in the Facebook chat for you guys. And the word of the Lord says, But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, he will kill us with the plague or with the sword. Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, you are distracting the people from their task. Get back to work. Look. There are many of your people in the land, and you are stopping them from their work. The same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straws for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they are crying out, let us go and offer a sacrifice to our God. Load them down with more work, make them sweat. This will teach them to listen to lies. So, initially this whole drama started with Moses and Aaron saying, let us have a feast. Let us have a festival. And when Pharaoh says, make the work harder. The first territory for followers of Christ to leave is Egypt, spiritually speaking. 
And you find this story in Exodus. And why do people um, do when they live in spirit? What do people do when they live in spiritual Egypt? They make bricks for a foreign master instead of building the Lord's house. They assemble a home for God's enemy. Egypt represents the world system. It speaks of the trap. It speaks like we have to. We're, we're, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. But we're called to this world, right? We're we're in this world, but we're not of this world. But we're called to this world. And so we cannot treasure them. We we can ask God to help us skillfully and wisely navigate this space with grace, utilizing our faith and faithfulness without being attached to the system of the world, right? It speaks of uh, Egypt, we are treasuring this world system, consumerism, materialism, greed, commercialism, and turning pleasure into a little G God are features of this system. I'm gonna say that again. The system of Egypt, it, it, it really wants you to get caught up in consumerism, materialism, greed, commercialism, and turning pleasure into a God. And these are all outstanding features of this system. I'm not going to meddle. I could, but I'm not going to meddle because I have a lot more ground to cover. The Christian living in Egypt lives for pleasure and puts earthly pursuits above the pursuits of the Lord. Sinking their life into name, fame, and game. Rick Warren says this. He says, it's not about you, it's about God. Those two go together. The reason why it's not about you is because it's all about God. Until you understand this, life is never going to make sense. Until you understand this, I'm not going to make sense to you. The goal of my life is not pleasure, possessions, prestige, politics, power, or popularity. It's not, it's not anything that has to do with the world's values. My goal in my life is to glorify God. So you're like, Pastor Ed, do I still go to work, right? I don't want to be in Egypt no more. Yes, you still go to work. Yes, you still pay your mortgage and your rent. Yes, you still fulfill your obligations. Yes, you still have to, you know, pay your bills and everything. But don't worship it. And leave some margin of energy for God's kingdom. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says, Do not love... 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. I'll put it in the chat for you guys. Amen, Sister Stacy. She's talking about Gosham. I see you, Stacey. You know where I'm going with this, Sister Stacy. So Stacy's in her word. Praise the Lord. All right. It says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from the world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So how do we get out of Egypt, right? I'm going to just skip a bunch of parts. If you study the story in the Passover, they ate a lamb, right? They had to sacrifice a lamb. They ate a lamb. They put the blood over the door so death passes by, and they had to deal with the Red Sea. 
So it just kind of talks about, um, it talks about Jesus and baptism, right? I'm going to just go all the way to the end of this point. We leave, in eating the lamb, eating the lamb gave us strength to leave Egypt. So when we do devotions every morning, when we set enough time for prayer, reading the devotion, reflecting on um, dedicating our day unto the Lord, it's like eating the lamb, right? To, to leave, uh, spiritually leave this system, right? We leave Egypt and then, and then the, crossing the Red Sea denotes baptism. So we leave Egypt once we are baptized, we leave, yet Egypt still lives in our bloodstream. Right, as long as you live on earth, um, they, they would try to follow you. We, we have to partake of the lamb every day, right? So we have to learn. We have to be baptized. We have to recognize that baptism. Some of you guys forgot your baptism. Understand that it was an outward expression of an inward change. It was like a, a picture of a resurrection, right? So you have to know you are baptized and you partake of the lamb every day. And that you are in this world, but you're not of this world and that you are leaving space you're leaving margin for the miraculous space for grace to build god's kingdom you are leveraging uh work to fulfill your obligations to to set yourself up for uh to bless your children right to live with a sense of dignity but also to set a portion of energy of time of talent of treasure to build god's house and god's family so we have to move out of Egypt, and then we have to move out of Babylon. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 7 says, Up, Zion, escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. Um, Revelations chapter 18, verse 2 through 4, it says, He gave a mighty shout, Babylon is fallen. This is Revelations 18, verse 2 through 4. He gave a mighty shout, Babylon is falling, that great city is falling. She has become a home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture and every foul dreadful animal. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. The king of the world have committed adultery with her because of her desires for extravagant luxury. The merchants of the world have grown rich. Then I heard a voice coming from heaven. Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins, or you'll be punished with her. The late great, great Bob Marley, he had a song called Babylon System, right? And, it, and the lyrics is, Babylon System is the vampire, yes, vampire, sucking the children day by day, yeah. Make say day Babylon System is the vampire, fallen empire. Right? And so even Bob Marley was telling them to leave Babylon. The roots of Babylon are found in the ancient city of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 9, where they were trying to build a tower, to build a name for themselves, and a tower that housed foul spirits. They were trying to, they were, they were trying to uh, separate themselves uh, from God. And then when you can look at Babylon also... After King David, like two generations after King David, the people of God were so rebellious that God lifted up the hedge of protection and Babylon took over. And after 70 years of captivity, the, the people of Israel were allowed to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild Israel, rebuild the tabernacle, the temple, the city. But guess what? They didn't want to go back. Only 50,000 Israelites out of 2 million traveled back to the land. Only 2.5% 
Why? Because the rest of them got comfortable in Babylon. They didn't want to build God's house because they were comfortable in their cage. They were comfortable with the oppressor. They had mass spiritual Stockholm syndrome. And so when you read Zechariah chapter 4 through 8, it talks about Zerubbabel and it talks about other people and Haggai. And Haggai is talking about you build your houses, but you don't build a house for God. And so some people went back, right? And they said a remnant. Understand that there's a lot of people that say they're Christians, but there's a remnant of true Christ followers. That's just the way it is. Right? And so this remnant went back and rebuilt the work, right? And it was Ezra, it was Nehemiah, it was Haggai, different prophets, and they went back and they sacrificed and they built their house and they built God's house and they built the wall at the same time. And then when the older people came that saw Solomon's temple, they said, man, this is no good. They started crying. They said all the young people who built the temple were cheering, they were dancing, and all the old people were crying like, this is no good. Listen, there's always going to be old Christians from the 80s that are going to be like, oh, it's not the same. We used to have church every day. Right, Anna? It's not the same. We used to have, we used to have all night prayer meeting. It's not the same. Listen, things change. The, there's more spiritual warfare in the air. The, the world has changed. And you know what? A lot of those saints in the 80s didn't do right. They didn't respect justice. They didn't love the saints. They only loved the pastors. And that's why the favor of the Lord left. That's why they didn't maintain that growth. That's why they didn't maintain those tele, televangelist TV ministries. And, and that Christians had amusement parks. And, and Christians had like uh, condominium uh, walled gardens and places where they lived. They didn't maintain because they Babylon slipped in. Babylon's also a religious system, an ideological system, an educational system. And so Babylon slipped in into the kingdom of God. And all these pastors started stealing money and started sleeping with women. And they have poor members giving thousands of dollars, living in poverty. No pastor ever asked them, are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you need a haircut? Do you need anything? And so now God is looking for a new remnant of people like you and I. To rebuild God's house. And it may not look like the mega church. It may not have gold gates and lions and this and that. We may just have a simple storefront and we're going to be dancing and we're going to be jumping up and down. It's a place where we can have service and have coffee at the same time. It's a place where we can watch the Giants game after service. It's a place where we can have baby showers. It's a place where we can have bridal parties. It's a place that we can have birthday parties. It's a place where we can have workshops. It'll be our place. It'll be a simple place. It'll be a nice place, but it may not be an opulent place like uh, uh, the church in this place and the church in that place, but that's alright because God is doing a new thing because we're leaving Babylon. We're leaving that religious system. We're leaving that ideology. We refuse to live in Egypt and just work for the things of the world. We refuse to stay in Babylon and get caught up with ideolo ideologies of religious stuff and, and education and arguing about Democrats and arguing about Republicans. Listen, we're all about the kingdom of God, baby. Mm. The bridegroom of heaven calls us out, says, come out of her. It's in a divine call. So the last place, last place, I got five minutes, is don't get stuck in the desert. 
We're trying to be a Bethany. We're trying to get out of Egypt. We're trying to get out of Babylon. And there's a place a lot of Christians are stuck in the desert. Man, OGs like Zadia will tell you that, oh, I'm just in the process. I'm just in the potter's wheel. I'm just in the desert. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 and then 11. It says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness a long time ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. Verse 11, these things happened to them as an example for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. So when you say wilderness and desert as a Christian, it talks about a place that you build character, right? Like Moses, uh, God prepared Moses 80 years. Jesus didn't start preaching until he was 30, right? Um, the children of Israel spent 40 years in the desert. It, it, it's, it's a place of separation, preparation, and revelation. I'm going to say that again. The desert, the wilderness is a place of separation, preparation, and revelation. But it's not a place of permanent residence. The wilderness is a divine requirement, but it's a detour. It's not a home. And how long you spend there is mostly your decision. John the Baptist started God's ministry of welcoming the, the Messiah through uh, the wilderness. Paul went spent years in Arabian desert getting this revelation. It's all about changing your wineskins. You can't put new wineskins, I mean new wine. In old wineskins. When you go through the desert, God is changing your wineskins, changing your perspective, changing your humility, uh, giving you more empathy, giving you more reliance on God, le le um, removing all the stain and stench from our old ideolo ideologies and perceptions and giving us new wineskin, a new way to see the world, a new way to uh, believe, behave, a new way to conduct ourselves. And when we leave the desert, the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. The desert is where we're detoxed and battle-tested. But we can't live there, fam. We can't live there. We have to walk in victory. Some Christians sabotage themselves because they're comfortable in the desert. Some Christians, they'll rise, rise, and they'll fall almost on purpose to go back to the desert. There's some Christians... They go from one Bible college to another Bible college to this discipleship training program to that discipleship program because they're just addicted to the desert. Don't waste your life in Egypt. Don't waste your life in Babylon. And don't stay stuck in the desert. We are called to build God's house. You can't build God's house living in the cave. You have a natural habitat, which is the ecclesia. It's God's house. And like Cinderella's slipper, the Ecclesia is the missing fit of our puzzle of our life. Once it's found, it snaps into place. We have a biological drive to build God's house. We have a spiritual taste for it. We have an inclination. We have a, a, a drive, a destiny to be part of God's family. To love the bride and to build God a house. Family, I got two minutes. Understand that God has called us to build a special church. Not the best church. Every church is special. Me and Jimmy and Ramon went to Brooklyn Tabernacle on Tuesday for prayer. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And every church has. But we have, we have a calling to build this church, to build our lives, to build the kingdom of God. We have to leave Egypt.
right? We don't we don't we, we don't we don't live to work. We don't just work for a living. We also work for a giving. Right? We have to leave Babylon. Right? We have to leave like, oh my my denomination is better than your denomination. My 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 political party is better than your political party. We have to just get caught up in the kingdom of God and loving people. And last we gotta leave this desert. We can't stay in the desert too long. We gotta put our hands to the plow. You know, there's some Christians, all the books they read is just about them. It's time for you to read about serving others. It's time for you to read about interpersonal skills on using your natural gifts, your spiritual strengths to help build the kingdom of God. Amen? So it's not where you are, it's how you are. It's time to move out and move up, fam. I love you, no Lord. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I come before you. Help these beautiful people move out of Egypt. Father, I pray that you give them a job that leaves, that they'll leave a little something. That they'll leave some margin for the miraculous. That the job doesn't drain them so they can't be discipled. Yeah. That they can't take care of their family and love their family. Father, I pray you help us leave Egypt. Yeah. Help us cherish our baptism. Help us have devotion every day. Eat the lamb every day. And help us walk as a community. The people left together. Father, I pray that we'll leave Babylon, Lord God, that we'll leave uh, like this, this thing caught up in building reputation and look at me and look what I built and that we will learn to live humbly in a cooperative Christian community. That we won't get stuck in ideologies about vaxxers and anti-vaxxers and mandates and Democrats and Republicans and, and my race and this race, that we will all be part of the kingdom of God. And Lord, help us leave the desert. Lord, I, I pray that we will just change our wineskins. That we will have separation and revelation and preparation. And that we will be prepared to do, we will do what we were prepared to do. We've been trained. Some of us have gone through hundreds of hours of discipleship training for such a time as this. Help us build this church in this new chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. God bless.